You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos, and you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature podcast. This week, Father Paul concludes his discussion of Genesis chapter 17. I am pleased to introduce Father Paul on the Bible as Literature podcast, Tarazi Tuesdays. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this season next year. Very interesting. That it has nothing to do with the decision as to when Abraham and Sarah will lie down together, because they will not. (laughs) So, at this season, next year, it's a full year, it's not nine months. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, notice the stress, and all the slaves born in his house, or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was ninety-nine years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael his son was thirteen years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. It's a very interesting statement because it's a curveball against Isaac, meaning that Isaac was not the first circumcised. You have his brother Ishmael and so many other people. But, as we shall see, Isaac is still special because he is the first one that circumcised according to the rule of the covenant on the eighth day. Okay, because the people that were circumcised were older. Obviously, you can tell me a few of them were eight days old and so on, but this is not how the text function. Okay, and the importance of this is underscored in the repetition. So you have, he circumcised, and Abraham was that age, Ishmael was that age, It is repeated in 26, that very day Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house, and those brought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. Another repetition that includes everybody. And the positioning of this chapter is very important. We shall see the following story. So it's a linkage, it straddles the cycle of Abram and the beginning of the cycle of Abraham. I had a specific question about verse 8 and talking about the land, because this is a verse that's taken out of context all the time and is used for whatever people want to use it for. Could we just spend another moment talking about the land that's going to be given to the seed of Abraham in verse 8? Canaan, obviously for me, I already spoke, but it's worth to repeat that. I am convinced that I showed in my book and in some of the podcasts 
that Canaan is not a geographical Canaan, it's the scriptural Canaan. Because this land, soon we shall hear that it's extend until the Euphrates. And God tells Abraham, look north, look west, look east, look south. All that you can see will be used. Obviously, this is a shepherd terminology. It's the land you can see around you is yours. You walk a little bit further, it is also yours, which means it's a gift from me. Because it's impossible for Abraham to see the Euphrates. And how many times I repeated, the Euphrates is always included. The Hittites are included at the entrance of Canaan. Actually, only they are mentioned. And the land of the Hittites is the land that is around the two sources of the Tigris and the Euphrates. Then you have the kingdom of David and Solomon that extend against the Euphrates. And you notice in the story is not functional how many times you see them around the Euphrates. But it is this idea that the scriptural Canaan, and it was a name of the areas South Lebanon and uh, Northern Palestine and so on. And the author chose it because it was around the area where the story, the main story of Israel and Judah took place. But then that's not the way it is. And the eternity that people stress, if that is part of your question, you know, everlasting, it is the same word, olam, that is used with the covenant. So olam is a word that is under God's control for a very simple reason, because God is the God of all the Olam and Olamim. Olam means world and also age. So you have ages after ages after ages. And the human beings die. The only one who straddle all the ages and can show that indeed he actualizes his promise is God. You cannot do that. How many times I said to the people, you know, according to the Bible, the people who left Egypt did not enter the land, and those who entered the land did not leave Egypt. And this stuns me always when people say, we left Egypt and we came to Canaan and we went to Babylon and we returned to Babylon. You know how we do in mysticism and liturgy and so on. I mean, this is ridiculous. And that's the function of the famous 70 years. 70 years, which means we have a new generation. I mean, let's say a couple of people that went to Babylon return, but most of the people were born there, and those who went died. So we have to be very careful as how to understand. And you pointed out with astuteness at the beginning that people take it out of context. So let me give the parallel example. You enter Canaan, and it's the land of the Hittites. I mean, for heaven's sakes. How could the geographical Canaan be the land of the Hittites in Joshua 1? It's an impossibility. But then we don't say that the author had an extra two drinks and he really didn't know what he was talking about. That's not 
the way you deal with literature. You have to submit to it. And notice how this verse ends, and I will be their God. Now, the people who know Ezekiel will see the connection that when you return to the land and you do my will, then you will be my people and I will be your God. It's not the I am your God. That's not philosophy. And that is very important. So technically the solution is in the last words, and I will be their God. You won't be around Abraham to witness that. So the olam, the everlastingness, is the stamp of God, not a deed that you can show that this piece of land is mine. God never gives a deed. He just actualizes his promise. Earlier, you mentioned something that was striking when you talked about circumcision being presented as something that was offensive to the Greeks because of their adoration of the human body and so forth. And that really caught my attention because I've heard a lot of scholars say, frankly, the opposite about Paul's handling of circumcision. I think it was N.T. Wright who had talked about Paul wanting to remove circumcision exactly because it was scandalous. So I think it's really powerful the extent to which people really get Paul wrong on this point. Oh, oh, yeah, definitely. In Paul, you are on a different ground. We have to be very careful. There is a movement in Scripture. Like here, you don't hear about the circumcision of the heart. But later in the prophets, you have a very strange expression. I shall circumcise the foreskin of your heart. I mean, for heaven's sakes. The connection is there. <laughs> it's a circumcision. People say circumcision of the heart. No, it is the circumcision of the foreskin of the heart. And circumcision of the heart is a shorter version. We have to be very careful. It is because of this tension between the Jew and the Greek that each one wanted to show that one was superior to the other. He said, look, friends, it doesn't matter. If you're circumcised, you should not decircumcise yourself. You have a specific verb in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And if you are uncircumcised, you should not circumcise. And then he says, very powerful, which I repeat time and again. People like to quote Galatians, which is a shorter version, where neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is of any avail. Yes, but what is of avail? That's the point. Can you imagine you're telling your child, do not do that and do not do that. Okay, I'm not doing either. Is that fine? No. Unless you add a do, and this is what we hear in 1 Corinthians 7, neither circumcision nor a circumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. That is Ezekiel. That is the circumcision of the heart. That it is the law of the Spirit, as Paul refers to it in Romans 8. The law tells you, you shouldn't do, but also it tells you 
what to do. And that is the trouble also with people who like to. Because the negative is very easy to check. That Father Paul, do not do that. Well, at 75, anyway, I'm not able to do it. So what's the big deal? But it's the do. Dealing with the stranger as your brother because you were a stranger when I saved you. That is the beginning of the business between God and you. Let me jump to 25. I don't see Christ in the name of God, the king seated as son of man on his throne. Asking you if you fulfilled my negative commandments. I don't hear it. <laughs> okay, a negative. Okay, I didn't do it. It's the positive. And here the circumcision is presented as something Abraham had to do. You can see circumcision with your eyes. And then when you look at those strangers coming from the Greek islands, remember, the authors, that's how I explain in my book, the choice of circumcision is clearly anti-Greek because the people of the entire area, and not only the Jews, were circumcised. You hear it in Jeremiah. So if everybody is circumcised and yet uncircumcised in heart, as Jeremiah says, it doesn't apply to the Greek because they are not circumcised. So really, that is the solution. Uh, I mean, uh, logically, you know how in my books I dismiss the scholars. I don't spend my time arguing with them because it's a loss of time. It takes so many pages and you tire your hearer. Uh, I think it's much better if you, we start writing and you have to show. And then if you have can quote a few other, I'm not saying shove them aside, but the main point of the argument is to invite your reader or your hearer to follow the intrascriptural argument. I just told you, Canaan is not the geographical Canaan. And that's the way I handle this, very clearly anti-Greek. Very clearly. You remember, I mean, you have it in the time of Roman Paul where, you know, the shame of the Jew was his circumcision because the Greeks would go to the baths and with the others. If they see something circumcised, it's not good. You have to keep your body as reflecting the divine, which seeped into theology where they didn't care about the body, but they start speaking about the soul and the spirit and the inside and the heart, reflecting the divine to the extent that uh, they create a theosis. I mean, what? Ridiculous! <laughs> theosis. People go around it by the new theologians to salvage Alexandria. Well, the true meaning of theosis is to be as gentle and good as God is. Well, call it perfection, as the Sermon of the Mount called it. But where do you get this theosis? You become 
like God. No, the nature of God is how he behaves. That's the thesis. We'll get to it when we get to the New Testament. But I know all these texts. It's just I don't want to burden my hearer. But I hope that my hearers would acquiesce, as my students had to do year after year, that I know what I'm talking about. So don't poke a new text for me from the end of the Bible, but it is written there. This is how theology is done. It takes a text from here, a text from there, a text from there, and then they concoct it in a new salad. Anyway. Father Paul, thank you very much for a great episode. Richard and I were talking to some of our listeners. Those who are working through your podcast mentioned that sometimes they go through it two times or three times and take notes to make sure they hear what you're saying. And I can tell you for the folks that are putting that effort in, we're all very thankful that we aren't losing time on what all of the other scholars are saying. So thank you very much today for this episode, great. Father. That's great, but please tell them um, as a footnote that uh, they should read their notes very carefully, but never consider them as scriptures. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Will do. Their notes on scripture is not scripture. If my book on scripture is not scripture, let alone. Anyway, it's a nice joke at the end this to make people laugh because the, I am imagining them already sweating at the end of this. <laughs> exactly. Okay. okay. Well, I love you very a- much and thank you again. Thank you, Father. We love you too, Father. Thank you. Thank you very much. Take care, gentlemen. Bye. 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 The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.